thankful for Jesus this morning. We're glad you guys are here with us, and uh, if you, in case you haven't figured it out yet, VBS is starting tonight, this week, and, and I love the decorations. I love uh, the anticipation for uh, children to come and, and have fun, but more importantly, as they have fun, to get to know that it is indeed the blood of Jesus that washes our sins away. Amen? Let's continue this morning as we, as we gather together in worship of our Savior. Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the world thy hands have made, I see the
ushers come forward as we finish up our uh, last song this this morning before we get into our message together. And uh, and as we give, as we sing, this may sound like a broken record, but we do it all with the same heart, right? That's what God wants from us. He doesn't want just our words. He doesn't want just our money. He wants our hearts. And we're going to see that in our in our message today. That it's God that looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance. But God sees what's inside of us, and so he determines, he judges the thoughts and the actions of our hearts through his word, by his spirit. And so as we give this morning, let's do it in a worshipful attitude. And if you can't, that's okay. Just pass it on by, and let's consider the words that we're about to sing together. Jesus, we love you, we need you, and we praise you. Amen. for your son, Jesus. You are a good, good father to us, and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Happy Father's Day to all of you uh, men and grandfathers uh, here with us this morning. One of our hopes is that this message would be an encouragement and kind of a spurring on to your faith and to your uh, walk as a father and a grandfather. If you have a Bible on your lap or your device, get to uh, 1 Samuel. We'll be in chapter 16 and 17 this morning. 
as you're getting there in 1 Samuel, I want to share with you an update on Brad and Erica Lehman uh, so you can be aware and be praying. Uh, they'll be sending out this following letter uh, probably today or later this week, and they wanted to share with you their church family first. So let me read this to you. Last April, Erica, Erica and I announced that we had felt a call and desire to serve our God and Savior at Isaiah 55 in Reynosa, Mexico. God's been so faithful to us through this process as we have sought his direction and will. And through all and above all, our prayer has been that our lives would honor and glorify our Lord and Savior. From the beginning, one of our requirements was that for us to serve on the mission field, we needed our path to be clear, we would have peace in our decision-making, and that doors would be open. Over the past several months, it's been made clear to us that God is closing the door for us to move forward in this faith journey. It's been a very heart-wrenching decision, especially since we have looked forward to this change in our lives but God is revealing to us that the timing is not right for us to continue on. This decision was made after many sleepless nights, a lot of prayer and tears, seeking wise counsel, and above all, seeking wisdom and discernment through the word. As much faith as, as this has taken over the past four years to realize this calling and to be obedient, we feel it has taken more faith and obedience to stop and back away. We're grateful for Isaiah 55 and the work that they're accomplishing in Reynosa. We still continue to pray that their ministry continues to expand and bring the lost to the Savior and that Satan would be held at bay so they can be effective. Our sending agency, Go Ye Fellowship, has continued to support us and if and when the timing is right, has supported our family to seek another ministry. We know that our God is not a God of confusion and chaos and his will is perfect, but our human minds are struggling. Through this time, we maintain that our purpose is to honor and glorify our God, and we know that we will understand when it is time. I have been continually reminded of the time in Abraham's life when God called him to sacrifice his son Isaac. God loved Isaac and was asking for Abraham's obedience. In the end, Abraham was blessed for his faith and obedience and spared Isaac's life. We share this because although God calls us to walk in faith and obedience in a way that doesn't make sense to our finite minds, God is ultimately in control, and we are only called to obey. To do otherwise would be sin. We appreciate you all more than you will ever know. We appreciate your kind words during the last two years and the prayers you have offered up on our behalf. We also appreciate those of you who are praying, uh, that we're praying about or are currently supporting us financially. Erica and I are praying that our next steps would be made clear, and during this time we ask you to be prayerful with us. If you are currently supporting us financially, we ask that you would pause during this time as we seek direction. We feel called to the mission field, but we need time to pray. And for that time and place we are to serve is not clear right now. We love you all so much and ask that you lift our family up during this time. One thing I've always loved about uh, the Lehman family is their willingness and desire to walk and live by faith, not just in a pursuit of missions, but as a way of life in their workplace, in their schools, um, just as a way of life. I'd encourage you to be continuing to pray for them, to, as you have opportunity, to, to pray with them, not just say, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you, but to actually pray with them. Pray with them, out loud. And also to use your words to encourage them, to build them up as a part of the body of Christ as they continue to seek what is next for them. So let me pray, all right? Father God, um, Thank you that you're a good father. We're reminded of that today on Father's Day. We're reminded that you're a perfect and gracious father. And I pray that your grace would be ever so evident to the Lehman family as they continue to trust in you, as they continue to walk and live by faith. I pray that you would make it so crystal clear about next steps. God, I thank you that they're on mission, that they are uh, loving you and loving people and making disciples as a way of life now, it's not something they have to begin doing, but they're something that they've been doing for years. And I pray that as they walk that out, as they love you, as they follow you, as they trust in you, that you'd make their path clear, that you'd make it straight, and that they would trust in you. Thank you for the call that you have on their lives to serve you, to love you, to worship you, supremely above all else. And Father God, be, be gracious to them in this time as they seek you and as they trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, as you can see, our summer VBS is going to kick off tonight. 
Uh, we don't, if you're new with us today, we don't typically have this kind of backdrop, um, preaching or worship-wise, and so it is good to be together this morning uh, to consider um, Father's Day, consider David and Goliath and the story that we're looking at, but also to anticipate the week ahead of ministry, and we're going to be praying for volunteers and the kids and the week ahead of ministry at the end of the service. So what would you say are the characteristics of someone who was used by the Lord? What's the Lord looking for when it comes to seeing someone who can and, and that he will use for his kingdom purposes? I coach seventh grade boys basketball here in Eureka. I've been doing it for nine years, going into my 10th year. And every year I have two uh, days that are my least favorite. All right. One is the, is the last day of the season. Typically, seven out of nine years, that's ended on a loss. All right. And so that's just kind of an abrupt or stopped we lost whatever, whatever place it is in postseason, first game or uh, fifth game or something like that. But, but it's always that, okay, season's over. We lost. Okay, we'll go home. See you guys. And the season has um, stopped. The other least favorite day of my season, of a three-and-a-half-month season, is, is day two of the season. It's the day I make cuts. I've had one year where so few boys tried out that I didn't have to make any cuts. That was a beautiful year. Other eight years, I go home and I feel like garbage. I just like rake the leaves or I do something outside to try to take my mind off of it. I try to do it in the most honoring of ways, but it is not an enjoyable experience at the end of the day to tell some kid that he's been rejected. Any coach would tell you that that day is not a day they look forward to. And so while there are intangible things that we look for in players of work ethic and do they listen and do they work hard and those kind of things, there's also reality that we are looking at outward qualities. Qualities that can change when you're only in seventh grade, right? But we look at these qualities and we say, can you shoot? Can you dribble? Can you pass? Can you defend? Can you rebound? Are you strong? Can you jump? Are you quick? Are you fast? These outward things. This stretches long past sports, right? Into music of, are you good enough to be first chair? Are you good enough to be in the lead role? Are you good enough to be accepted into this college? Are you good enough to be accepted by this company to hire you, all these external things that often are looked at. And so what we often do is we assume that that's how God operates when it comes to how he uses people in his work and in his kingdom, that his focus is on external qualities. And so we take that logic that that happens horizontally and we go, okay, well, God only uses those who are super knowledgeable. God only uses those who are really comfortable in front of crowds and can speak well. God only uses those people who seem like they kind of have it all together and their, their family could be up on a billboard. God only seems to use those that, that come from a Christian heritage. God only uses those who, who seem like they've, they've lived a morally pure life, so to speak. We take this logic of a focus on external qualities that we can observe and we project that same logic onto Almighty God. And we assume He operates by the same set of rules as if he is somehow boxed in by our thoughts and our perceptions. But what we'll see in today's text and story, among other things, is that God does not look at the outward qualities. He looks at the heart when determining who he can and who he will use. We'll see an example of of the Lord using someone in his kingdom, and we'll see characteristics there that are true not just in David's life, but in lives that we've looked at thus far what we see in the life of Christ, what we see in the life of the church in present day. Today we're introduced to a young David, and whether you grew up in church or not, many of us know bits and pieces of David's story. And one thing we know about David is that he was not perfect. If we just take this story and kind of rip it out of our Bible and look at it, we go, well, David is the man. He is the man. He is the perfect man. And while he might appear to be the hero of the story, he is not the hero of of scripture he's not the hero because at the end of the day in three sundays from now we'll be looking at his downfall to sin that where we see humility and walking by faith we'll see that derail when we get to july the story of david and goliath is one that's often told of and the typical angle on that story is that david is the underdog he overcame the great giant and because david overcame the giant so can you So go out and overcome giants. That's typically the message we pray, altar call, we we leave and go conquer giants, right? And while that seems like a great storyline, it makes for a great moment in in the movie Hoosiers. Have you seen this movie? 
If you haven't, you just really haven't lived, um, you just need to just step into life a little bit. But, but Hoosiers, so, so pastor comes in, and, and, and right before Hickory takes the floor, he quotes David and Goliath, quotes this moment where David strikes down the Philistine with one stone, tear to my eye every single time. Again, if you haven't, I'm not lying, that's not sarcasm or just like exaggerating. That, that happens. I cried during that movie. Um, you should as well. It's basketball. It's beautiful. But anyways, that's the typical angle on this story. That's not the angle we're looking at today. What I want us to see this morning is not the challenge to be like David because David isn't the hero. God is the hero. God was the one who enabled David to do great things. What I want us to see, among other things, is that David overcoming the giant for his people is a greater picture of Jesus overcoming the enemy for his people. It's a story that points us to Christ, the victory that we already have in Christ. When I was growing up and we'd travel to uh, St. Louis and uh, to visit this, uh, the zoo or to watch this team that was just kind of perennial winners um, playing, the game of bas- uh, playing the game of baseball, um, just year in and year out, just constantly winning. Uh, we'd go down there and we'd, and we'd watch and just got to know your history um, <laughs> so you don't lose sight of that. Um, so we'd go down and one of the fun things to do when, when, when I wasn't faced, did you have a, we had a celebrity station wagon growing up. And, uh, and so it had the seat that faced backwards. And so this game didn't work when I faced backwards, but I could wave at people and annoy them in that way. But going down, facing forward, one of the games you'd play is how soon can you see the arch? Like, oh, there, there's a glimpse of it. And then, and then you'd come around that last bend and onto the bridge, and oh, there it is, top to bottom. But the game was to see these glimpses, these little uh, parts of the arch before they tuck behind a tree or a hillside. As we venture through the Old Testament and toward the New Testament, what I'd love for us to see is glimpses of the cross, glimpses of Jesus, because they're there. And they remind us that of the destination that we're headed toward. And then we make that final bend, and there it is, top to bottom, Jesus in the flesh. And then the cross. So as we look at this story, look for hints and details of of the cross, hints and details of uh, glimpses of Jesus as we venture through this, the one who is the king that we worship, the one who is the true hero, the one who fights for his people. 1 Samuel 16 begins, verse 1, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Samuel was a prophet and judge for Israel. And last week we saw Samuel confront King Saul, the king that preceded David, And Saul lived a life of partial obedience to the Lord. And as a result of his continual rebellion, the Lord rejects Saul as king. In chapter 15, we saw Samuel grieve over Saul and his sin. And here we see this grief continuing. And in a sense, the Lord is telling Samuel, it's time to move on. Samuel had even been told in verse 28 of chapter 15 that the kingdom of Israel would be given to one of Saul's neighbors, a neighbor who is better than him. And so the Lord calls Samuel to move from, move from grief to hope. The Lord continues, Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Now, what we can't know for sure here, but maybe what, what we can assume in looking at last week's story, the storyline was Saul took the best of the livestock of the Amalekites. And when he wasn't supposed to, God asked him to destroy everything. And, and Saul said, well, I'm going to use it to worship the Lord. So what we might be able to assume here is that God in his grace and in his providence and just in his, his ability to work, work around circumstances, work through circumstances, that, that God takes this heifer that would have been the Amalekites and takes it and now redeems it for a purpose of revealing God's will and offering worship, true worship to the Lord. Verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. 
I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now the stage has been set. Jesse's family has been invited to the tryout for the king. But they don't realize that's why they're there. They're assuming that they're there simply to worship the Lord. But in this moment, the Lord will reveal to Samuel who will make the cut, who's going to be the next king of Israel. And Samuel, he only knows this, that this person is going to be better than Saul. And Saul was physically strong, a strong personality. And so Samuel, knowing that and knowing that this new king would be better, you'd imagine that Samuel's thinking, this guy is just going to have this massive physical presence. This presence, this personality that just says, King of Israel. Jesse's family arrives, verse 6. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Surely the son of Jesse's is better than Saul. Look at him. But then the Lord turns the kingdom of this world on a dime, so to speak, and, and, and instead reverses that, and we look at it from the kingdom of God. See, the world looks at the outward appearance. We judge and evaluate on outward appearance, but the Lord is focused on the heart, the internal quality and the character of someone. And in that area is where we'll see King, King David be far better than King Saul. It was not an outward improvement but an inward one. The heart is what controls the actions and our, and our choices. And in Saul, we saw a king who was out for himself, who built monuments to himself, who, uh, instead of owning his own sin, tried to shift it and blame it on others, who lived not for the praise of God, but for the praise of man. His heart is what led to those actions. But in David's heart, we'll see a totally different picture, a man after God's heart one of faith and humility. In verse 8, Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Samuel had to be thinking, okay, Lord, what, what is going on here? Verse 11, Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. I love this. Jesse didn't even bring David to this time of worship, this sacrifice ceremony. David was busy tending sheep. He was serving. He was fulfilling his role in the family. And you get the sense that David was insignificant in the family because he had, didn't even initially come to this worship sacrifice. We see that same thing in Gideon. He, was, he called himself weak and insignificant in the family, but the Lord used him. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So David may have had beautiful eyes and was handsome, and that's in the Bible. It's just like associated with the name David. Uh, but, he was, but he was young. I'm just, hey, you got to take your opportunities. You don't come across the Scripture every day. Um, so you got to strike while the iron's hot. All right? But he was, he was young and he was small. It's a contrast to the external qualities of Saul. And the Lord sees something internal in David. He's evaluating him internally, not externally. And it's for those reasons that the Lord anoints him as the future king. And so the Lord calls out David. And as a result, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon and empowers David. It's the same language that we saw in the story of Samson when the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, it says. And so now David is not doing things in his own strength, but by the power of the Spirit of God. The story continues in verse 14 where we see the Spirit of, of the Lord depart from, from Saul. A harmful spirit is given instead. By God's providence, David is, is, is skillful in playing the lyre, L-Y-R-E, and he's brought into Saul's service to comfort him through music. We learn in verse 18 that David is a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, 
and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. He, we learn that uh, Saul loved David greatly. He became one of his, 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 uh, his armor bearer. David finds favor in Saul's sight. David playing this instrument brings refreshment or comfort to Saul. Do you see how the Spirit of the Lord is at work here? Orchestrating events so this one-day king is going to be brought near to the current king. David is the anointed king. He knows this is his destiny. Not many people know it at this point. He knows it's his, and yet he's not forcing his timing. He's not, he's not clear in the path and saying, well, my time's right now. He's just trusting in the Lord. There's this faith, this, this faith in God, this humility before God and his timing that we see evident continually in David's life, not just right here. David's got this calling on his life, but he's not going to step out and try to force that calling, but he's going to trust in God's timing and how God will orchestrate events so that calling will come to its fruition. And now we get to chapter 17 in the main event in the Philistines. Enemies of Israel and the Lord are gathered on one mountain. And then on the other mountain are Israel and its armies gathered. And in between is this valley. And then picking up the story in verse 4. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, just strong envelopes and... This is a bad joke. <laughs> Father's Day, you've got to have a dad joke, though. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin, and javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. And the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield bearer went before him, a giant of a man, nine feet, nine inches tall, covered in armor, giving the appearance of a snake with all that armor. A snake that continues to defy and rebel and come up against the Lord and his people. Verse 8, he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then, he, then, we, will be his, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. When you look at this on paper, on a chart, like that you would draw between two teams or two boxers or those kind of things, this chart, Goliath and whoever the Israelite army would have, Goliath on paper just wins every time. It makes sense as to why the people were dismayed and greatly afraid. He's larger than life. He, it appears that he has all the advantage and all the power. Do you notice what Goliath calls the nation of Israel? He says in verse 8, Are you not servants of Saul? This is a knock against their identity. Trying to make the, trying to make the soldiers think that ultimately they serve Saul instead of being reminded that they serve Almighty God. That they're not merely servants of Saul the king, but they're servants of the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the great high king. It's subtle here by Goliath, but the enemy of our souls, depicted as a snake in Genesis 3, is the liar of liars. He twists, often just slightly, contorts things just slightly sometimes, and in doing so tries to shake the identity of the Christ follower to make us think that we are someone that we are not, in Christ. Unfortunately, the soldiers don't recognize this half-truth being shouted at them, and so they cower in fear. On paper, according to human perspective, this does not look good. Through the lens of faith in Almighty God, this supposed giant doesn't seem very giant at all. Faith in an all-powerful, all-seeing, all-good God, it changes our perspective. It changes our perspective when we hit circumstances that don't look good on paper. As the story continues in verse 12, we find out that Jesse's three oldest sons are with Saul at the battle. David was going back and forth between tending sheep and then being with Saul. Verse 16 tells us that for 40 days, 
Goliath came forward and took his stand. Morning and evening, 40 days of temptation. 40 days of taunting. Then Jesse tells David to take some grain, bread, and cheese to the Israelite army camp and to check on the three oldest brothers to see if they're doing okay. Verse 20, And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encamp and he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with him, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. So it's different now. You got a new voice or a new, new set of ears, I should say, listening and hearing him. Can you see this in your head? The young, small, insignificant brother comes running up to the three older brothers. I got some bread and cheese. How's the battle going? And you just imagine this little, this small, little youthful boy. If you got a little brother, you can probably picture this, right? He's been stuck tending sheep while his older brothers are off fighting this battle. He's experiencing what my friend calls FOMS disease, F-O-M-S, fear of missing something. Maybe you've got a child that you're raising. If you're a parent, maybe this is why you're on social media, because you have FOMS disease. You have fear of missing something. And he comes into the ranks with the people, and for the first time he sees and he hears this great giant. For 40 days, this enemy has been coming out to taunt and challenge the Israelites. If you're you're so great, send someone out to fight me. If you think you can overcome me, then let's see it. And this is what David sees in response of the people. Verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and the the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. No one is moving a muscle. No one is willing to trust in God here. No one is willing to ask a question about how to overcome the giant, but one person is. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. Again, we see David's desire is not in it for self-glory, but it's in for the glory of God, for the glory of the God of Israel. This enemy is defying the armies of the living God. This is what has is, is bothered David and moved him to action and caused him to walk by faith. Verse 28 now Eliab, his, old, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. Unfortunately, the very first person to question David's beliefs and David's convictions and David's motives in in pursuing the enemy is not the enemy. It's his own family. It's from the same camp. The older brother who is cowering in fear and unwilling to believe God for for the victory. So where the New Testament calls Christians to encourage one another, spur one another on, build one another up with our words, to say, don't get entangled in that sin. Turn from that. Let's, let's walk together. Let's walk by faith. Let's trust in God in this moment of despair. Where we see that, that picture in the New Testament, what we see in Eliab is, is, is this faithless words being spoken. Not words that would build up David's trust in the Lord, but rather these faithless words. So may we not find ourselves like Eliab in the body of Christ speaking faithless words or just speaking a lack of words when we should be speaking words of faith that spur on and charge and call us to trust in the Lord in greater ways. 
I love this. David turned away from him and toward another, it says. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to listen to those faithless words. This voice that would say, I don't need to trust in my God or that my God is someone who I don't think he is. Verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you are but a youth and he has been a man of war from youth. Again, unbelieving, faithless words spoken from the same camp, from the same family. The enemy hasn't even said anything yet to David. It should be people that were calling him to this greater faith. But instead, they're speaking these words that are complete opposite. Here comes David's resume. And David said to Saul, your servant used, used to keep uh, sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from, um, from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And, it, and if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. God is preparing him all along. In the waiting, God was at work. While he was just out tending sheep, thinking that he was missing something, that was exactly where God wanted him. God was preparing him. So often as God's people, we don't wait well, do we? But in the waiting, in the behind the scenes, in the when's this ever going to happen, God's trying to prepare us in those moments, in those seasons. That's where God's preparing. That's where God's running us through experiences, causing the word to come alive to us, building support and uh, a community among the body of Christ. Our part in the waiting is to be faithful, is to be faithful, to be obedient. And that's where David was. He was faithful. He goes on, your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Notice the David is continuing to give glory and credit to God. He's not boasting of his own ability to Saul, but rather God's ability. The Lord delivered, the Lord delivered. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not tested them. They're ginormous, and I am not very large. And David put them off. I don't need this armor. I have the spirit of the living God on my side. I don't need this armor. And he took off his staff on his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. He, his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Do you see this armor-clad, snake-like giant? Small, small boy with a slingshot and stones. On paper, small boy gets ripped apart, but small boy trusts in the living God, which changes everything. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David and his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, If you ever want to see the first picture of trash talking, look no further than 1 Samuel 17. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Jesus said in Luke 18, 27, with man, it's impossible. With God, it is possible. This day, the Lord will, de will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, but the battle is the Lord's. He will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag 
took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, but he's not done yet, and struck the Philistine and killed him. There is no sword in the hand of David. Then David's Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shaharim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camps. Pastor John Aiken uh, speaks to the glimpses that we see of Jesus and the cross, the resurrection, as we look at the story. He writes this, in David, you have the anointed one of God who receives the spirit, goes out into the wilderness where an enemy is presenting himself before the people of God, 40 days and 40 nights. He crushes the enemy's head. In the Hebrew text, it describes the enemy as wearing snake armor. Again, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? And then he goes on, Jesus baptized By John receives the Holy Spirit. Out in the wilderness, the serpent is presenting himself 40 days and 40 nights. Then Jesus withstands the temptation to bypass the cross and in doing that crushes the serpent's head. In Revelation 12, how do we overcome the evil one? Through the blood of the lamb. That's the way in which the evil one is destroyed and defeated. Once the head of the enemy is stepped on, the Israelite army gains this great victory. The confidence of the army goes up because they, they have, they've had one go before them. They've had one that gains that victory for them. As one pastor said, we are not David in this story. We are the Israelites who are cowering in the corner in fear because we can't face the giant on our own. We are not David in this story. We are the Israelites cowering in the corner out of fear, because we needed one to go before us. We can't beat our enemy on our own. So we need a David to stand in our place to defeat our enemies. And in Christ, we see the champion who by faith went to the cross and by his power rose again on the third day and in doing so secured victory for those who repent and believe in him. Pastor Jerry Vines said this, we don't fight for victory in the Christian life, we fight from victory, from a place of victory that's already been secured for us. In Christ, we no longer cower in fear to the enemy's temptations or the desires of our flesh because Jesus has already won the victory. We're not to have a spirit of fear or timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. I love that in the midst of this very short, brief, knockout in round one battle, David says, for the, Lord is, for the battle is the Lord's. There's this humility about David that we can learn from. David is in it for God's name and not his own. In David, we see this, this desire to walk and live by faith when facing apparently impossible circumstances. And all of that is a good word for us this morning, especially for us men on Father's Day. Fathers, grandfathers, single, engaged, we have enough to go around for everybody when it comes to all ages of men this morning. But as you leave, I want you to pick up a small stone from our First Impression volunteers. I I spared no expense for you today uh, for Father's Day. just wanted to tell you how loved you are. Um, The point is not that we would hold this stone and go be like David. That's not the point. The point is that we'd hold the stone And remember that we only have victory, we only have power because of Jesus, because the Spirit of the Lord. The only reason that stone was effective for David was not his ability. It was the Spirit of God, the power of God at work through David. The Israelites needed a champion to fight for them. We too needed a champion to fight for us, and he did that through through his death and resurrection. To be a Christ-following man means that we recognize that we are not the champion. We're not trusting in ourselves. We're not thinking we can overcome it on our own and by our own strength. But instead, we recognize that Jesus is our champion. In countless stories in the Bible, we are reminded that victory is found not in personal strength, not in personal might, 
But in weakness, Israel, uh, Israelites escape from, Israel's escape from Egypt. No army did that. Jericho, overcoming Jericho's walls. All they did is march around. They obeyed. They were faithful. God did the work. Gideon, it was jars and trumpets. But it was the Spirit of God that overcame the enemy. They simply had to obey. David, being young and small with just one stone, we fast forward to the New Testament and we see the weakness of a Savior, the apparent weakness of a Savior hung on a cross. But in that moment is the greatest moment of strength. It appears weak and it appears foolish to the world, but it's what saves us. It's what changes us. It's the moment in history that changes everything. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. David didn't trust in his own strength and ability. The battle was the Lord's. So men, I encourage you to place this somewhere in your bedroom, in your car, on your desk, wherever, toolbox, and you place it somewhere to remember the battle is the Lord's. This is not a be like David. This is a trust in the champion Jesus who fought for you, who laid down his life for you. Some of you don't know Jesus yet. You haven't trusted in him yet because you're continuing to trust in your own strength and your own pride and your own ability to overcome things in your life. How's that working out for you? It's not working out well. I've tried it before. It's anecdotal experience, but I can tell you from Scripture and from my own experience, it doesn't go well. A man of God is a man who trusts in a greater champion that understands that we needed one to go before us and that the battle is the Lord's. Our part is to be faithful. Our part is to obey. The battle is the Lord's. So as we close in the scene, the team comes back up. Could we stand? I want to pray for the fathers and grandfathers and young men in this room. stand up. Um, Father, thank you for being our perfect father. Some of us in this room did not have a great relationship with our earthly father. And I pray that for those of us in this room that, that had that, or that's part of our story, Lord, that you would be gracious to us to remind us that in Christ, you are a perfect heavenly father who cares for us, who loves us, who doesn't lose us, and who is always at work in us. God, I pray for the young men in here, the single, they're long before they get married, for the fathers, for the grandfathers. God, I pray that as men that we would trust in you, that we would recognize the battle is yours and it's not ours. Our part is to be faithful. Our part is to obey. Our part is to trust in you. Thank you that you are the ultimate champion, that you are the one that we worship, that you are the one that we trust in. Thank you for laying down your life for us so that we could be brought near, so that we could be adopted as sons. Father, for those here, the sons and daughters who have lost fathers, for the wives who have lost husbands, I pray that you would comfort and encourage. God, you'd just be so sweet and gracious to them on this day as they reflect on an earthly father that they miss or an earthly husband that they miss. Thank you that you're good to us that you're strong, that you're mighty, that you're trustworthy, that you never walk out. May we worship you well, not only in this next song, but just worship you well this week and as a way of life. Thank you that the battle's yours and thank you that it's won in you and that you've already won it and that we live and we, we, we walk out from a place of victory through the cross and the resurrection. May you be glorified by our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Singing as one Hallelujah
for uh, VBS, and um, so John, you want to come on up? Uh, the volunteers, the week ahead, the ministry ahead. So let's pray for that now. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have as the body to serve you this week. Lord God, the thing that I love the most about VBS is not uh, just the opportunity to share the gospel with the next generation, but to see uh, the body come together in a beautiful picture of the unity that we see in the book of Acts. God, that we would um, get to see each other daily this week, that we would encourage one another daily this week, that we would be reminded that um, community and unity in the body of Christ is not just something that happens on a Sunday morning, but it's something that happens throughout the week as we go. God, let us be reminded that ministry programs to the next generation are not a substitute for making disciples in the home. Lord God, remind us how, how can we encourage parents this week to not just bring their kids to church, but to see uh, the gospel and the kingdom come in their home as it is in heaven. God, let us be reminded that um, our call to make disciples is something that we are to do together joyfully. And Lord, I pray for this church, for this family of God, that we would serve you joyfully and faithfully this week. Uh, I'm thankful that VBS is not something that is uh, a glamorous opportunity to serve. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes things that happen there. And I'm grateful for the faithful saints that you've equipped for the work of the ministry to be done this week. God, thank you that we get to uh, fix our eyes on the King with one another. In Jesus' name, amen. I got three reminders for you about VBS. Uh, one is at 3 o'clock today, they're going to finish setting up. So if you're able to come to that, that'd be a huge help. At 5.15, if you're volunteering, uh, be here by 5.15 so for training and opportunity to pray before the night launches off. And then right now, as the service closes, we're going to stack up chairs and we're going to put them over in this corner so we can clear the space for kids. All right, happy Father's Day. Have a great day. See you back tonight. God bless.